0: Hey, everyone. Sam Brief here with the new Mental Game podcast. And today I've got Reed Myers, who just finished up his four-year basketball career and academic career graduating from Rice University. He was a D1 men's basketball hooper, which is really hard. But as Reed wrote in a column that he just penned for the Rice Thresher, the student newspaper at Rice, the harder thing that is nearly insurmountable for a lot of people is being an Asian American Hooper. Reed's dad is from Kansas city. His mom is from Tokyo, Japanese American. And like his two sisters, he followed basketball. And early on, he was a stud started as a freshman on varsity down in Arizona, scored 12 points a game. Won a state championship was first team. All state played four seasons. And by all accounts, his accolades, athleticism, athleticism, he should have been a D1 recruit. He should have had coaches lining up at the Myers household. But D3 coaches wouldn't even call him back. Scouts wrote that he was slow, unathletic, had no potential. He was falling into the stereotypes of an Asian-American basketball player for which there are very few examples. Of course, Jeremy Lin is the big shining example. But as Reed tells me in the pod, like that hasn't really led – much. That was 11 years ago, and there isn't really the next Jeremy Lin yet. So Reed's column in the Rice Thresher, he says, quote, I hope to be an example for future Asian American hoopers. That's the title. And it's a wonderful op-ed that I will link in the description. It's worth a read before you hop on with Reed. And that is coming in in three, two, one. Reed Myers hops on to the Mental Game podcast. He just graduated from Rice. He finished up his basketball career, and now he makes his debut on the pod. What's going on, Reed? i
1: are you doing, Sam? Thank you so much for having me today.
0: Of course. I'm catching you pretty much on your way from Houston to Phoenix to London. So I appreciate you <laughs> reserving a little time for me before you go drink some tea out
1: east. <laughs> of course. I appreciate you for having me. Thank you.
0: Of course, Reed. So I, I just want to start with where you are now, mentally. Mm-hmm. You just graduated from Rice, congratulations. Double major yeah. in psych and sports management. You finished your four-year basketball career, a sport that you've been playing since you were like that big. And mm-hmm. here you are, how do you feel?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a, a lot of mixed emotions and feelings right now. I think graduating is also a time for me to be how a moment for reflection so I was really I was happy and I was content with my experiences and what I was able to achieve during my undergraduate year so I was content with graduating but obviously I was sad because a lot of my friends are going to different places around the world also my teammates are going to different places whether it is uh, staying at rice or playing elsewhere so I was sad because you know Leaving that behind and missing those connections and relationships is going to be hard. But I know it's, you know, the right time because it's it's the right time for me to take my next step in my own journey. So, yeah, just a bunch of these feelings at the moment.
0: Hey, I've been there, right? I'm not that much older than you. I remember <laughs> right. that feeling of being like, oh, man, this friend is going to New York. This friend is going yeah. to Los Angeles, Israel. I'm like, oh, God, mm-hmm. I, I miss <laughs> the days of everyone being on the same block. So no, exactly. I can relate. But an exciting time mm-hmm. read. And I'm excited to have you on and dive in to your journey, which is going to focus mostly around the op-ed you wrote in the Rice Thresher, the Rice University student newspaper, an op-ed about being an Asian American basketball player, and that's something you've been from a very young age. And I want to start with the basic premise of this op-ed read. Why did you take the time to write it on your way out the door?
1: Yeah. So for me, it was kind of a twofold reason. So the first reason is I wanted to just kind of explain the Asian American basketball experience, because as uh, I wrote in my paper, there's only the Division one men's basketball players, only 04 percent of them are of Asian descent. So I was like, this is an incredibly small percentage and not everyone is familiar with the experiences that I've gone through. And so for that reason, I wanted to explain what I've had to go through, because I realized that people just aren't familiar with it. And I wanted to kind of uh, shed light into what it was like. And then the other reason was uh, with my basketball journey ending at Rice and after graduation, I kind of wanted to use this time to also reflect on my own career and see you know some of the obstacles, challenges that I've had to overcome, but also the successes. So those were the two reasons why I wanted to write this piece as my final piece during my undergraduate time at Rice.
0: A great motive, right? That number is crazy. Point four percent. That is such crazy. a minuscule number. Yeah. You write in the open of this column, "quote: The road to being mm-hmm. a Division One basketball player is hard, but it's even harder when you're an Asian American." Explain to us why.
1: Mm-hmm. I think what I mean that percentage just shows why. I mean, there's just not many of us that make it to that level, and with so few people being at the division one level, I think it also makes it harder for the next generation of basketball players who are Asian to kind of make it because if coaches and recruiters, they see that there just aren't many people who look like them at that level. So they kind of automatically think that, you know, maybe they're not ready for it or they're not gonna be able to compete. And so I think it's it's harder because people don't aren't gonna be believing in you when they're looking at you, especially when you're in high school playing club basketball on the on the circuit, I think it's just you have to believe in yourself even greater because other the people around you aren't believing you the same way because no one else has really done it, you know? And a big, obviously a big inspiration of mine was Jeremy Lin because of his successes as, as an Asian-American basketball player. And he, like, I've read many of his books and watched his movies and everything. So I remember he would always say that now, his journey was also very difficult to the point where, you know, Division Three coaches weren't even reaching out to him, even though he was the California basketball player of the year and one had these great, great milestones. So it's just, I think personally with my experience as well, I think it's just, it's more difficult for Asian Americans to get to that level.
0: And without being overly simplistic, there are some <laughs> crucial parallels between Jeremy Lin's story and your story, right? He was one of the right. best players, <clears throat> the best player in California. You were first-team All-State. You scored 1,000 points. You won a state championship in Arizona. Right. You were a bona fide stud and the type of player who should have had Division one coaches knocking on your door from junior year. Mm-hmm. But you wrote that you struggled, like Jeremy did, to even have mm-hmm. Division three coaches call you back. Take me to that moment of feeling that struggle and explain mm-hmm. to us what it felt like. Yeah, I mean...
1: It was honestly very almost like helpless because I felt like I deserved at least to get a text back, a call back. And it was really, really frustrating because I was just sending out email after email and text after text to these coaches at honestly all different levels from division one all the way to division three. And so for those people not to like really hit me back at least and to have that happen to me, it was it was very frustrating to say the least. And there are always these other players around me and growing up here in Arizona where I thought know, the attention that they were getting, I deserved just the same amount. And so to see that happening to other players around me who I thought I was either equal or better than, it was a very frustrating time, to say the least.
0: So much of it starts with what the scouts say about you, right? Mm -hmm. And the scouts were labeling you as not quick, right? Not as athletic because that's a stereotype and you're just falling Uh into that. But clearly you were quick clearly you were athletic how did you battle against those stereotypes
1: yeah i mean it was difficult and again it was, it was frustrating so with, yeah in high school growing up and these local scouts would just come to these games and i remember they wouldn't even like watch our games because in arizona like the local scouts are pretty well known and you know who they are when they come to watch your games and i remember they were just like tell like other people around them in their circles are like yeah the thing about reed marks he's just He's, not, he's just not athletic enough he's just not quick enough and i was like if people watch these games like i'm guarding i'm guarding these you know great point guards who you say are going to be d- easy division one players and it's like i can i'm holding my own at the minimum and so it was difficult to you know to combat those stereotypes because there's nothing you can really do because i feel like what i was doing on the court was proving them wrong but even then it was like no like you, that stereotype was always still being thrown on me, the labels of just not being quick enough, not being fast enough. And it was it was frustrating.
0: I can't relate to that. And mm-hmm. to put myself in your shoes is so... It, it, like, makes my head spin. It makes my stomach a little nauseous to think about being really talented. And it's not just talent. It's hard work, right? You don't become right. quick. You're not born quick. You, you, you have to... Mm-hmm train yourself, and I know you did that throughout youth basketball and high school. You turned yourself into one of the top players in the state, and you're not getting the credit you deserve. Division three coaches weren't calling you back. That's extremely frustrating. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious right. how you addressed it with your family. You have a dad from Kansas City, a mom from mm-hmm. Tokyo, you're Japanese-American. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you address it with your parents and also like individually with each of them?
1: Yeah, I mean with them they weren't athletes themselves so they never went through the recruiting process uh before i have two older sisters who also played basketball so one of them was a pretty good high school player so she actually went through the recruiting process herself but with me it was you know they were doing everything they could to help support me especially my dad he was doing everything he could on his side whether it was you know emailing coaches uh, on his own and helping me make these highlight videos from my games we would make them uh like just by ourselves, just cutting up the uh, the film from the games. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was it was hard to address it with them because they also felt like you know there's gotta be a lot of school out there that wants you that wants to take you that it would be a good opportunity, the right fit. But it was just difficult to find it. So I mean, having them in my corner and having them always support me, I mean, it was monumental for me because you know it was difficult. It was hard for me to you know kind of cope with it sometimes because it was just as a high schooler, like I felt like I just deserved more, and <laughs> I felt like. I deserve some attention. So it was really helpful to have them in my corner. And obviously I would have made it without them.
0: You wrote in this op-ed about your mom's upbringing and how Mm -hmm. being from Japan, it's just not really a thing that much to have sports be the focal point of of what you're doing, right? Every day you're waking Uh up, you're, you're practicing, you're going to games. Like that's your life. You're trying to get a Mm -hmm. scholarship. What sort of learning curve was there with her?
1: Yeah, I mean, I also got kind of lucky because my two sisters play basketball. So by the time it came uh, for me to play basketball, it was kind of adjusted by then. But I think with her, she was, just, she was just willing to let her kids follow what they loved. And that's what we love about her because, you know, many times that's not the case with parents. You know, they want to have kind of force whatever it is that they're passionate about onto their kids. But with her, she saw the love of basketball that we had. And so she was just willing to let us follow it and follow our dreams no matter where that took us. But I mean, not to say that she didn't care about our education. Like we always had to make sure our homework was done right, done well, and make sure our grades were still top-notch. But in terms of extracurriculars, uh, she let us spend an excessive amount of time on basketball that I know a lot of other parents wouldn't have. So especially growing up in Japan, that just wasn't the case, especially a sport like basketball, which is growing now, thankfully. But like other sports like baseball and soccer were more popular. So it was it was honestly incredible to see her be so willing to let her kids play the sport of basketball.
0: And you've towed the line of student and athlete masterfully. Mm-hmm. I mean, I go to your Rice yeah. University bio. I see Commissioner USA honors Roll, academic medal. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, th- this dude can hoop. He can also, yeah. you know, you're graduating with honors. So congrats on mm-hmm. that, Reed.
1: Oh, yeah, thank you.
0: I mentioned Rice. You know, there's clearly a jump. We're talking about, oh, Division three coaches aren't calling you back. But I'm talking to you now. You're wearing a Rice University polo. You just yeah. graduated from mm-hmm. a D1 men's basketball program. You played four seasons. How the heck did you get there?
1: <laughs> yeah, so after my uh, freshman year of high school, I had a really good year that year. So I came in as a freshman averaged around, you know, 12, 13 points a game. Um, I, I want to stop you right there. For, yeah, yeah. Because
0: mm-hmm. for people who don't really – understand the circuit of high school basketball in America to be a freshman and play on varsity alone is impressive to score 12 13 points a game on a state championship team yeah that that's really impressive so you should have been a, a high level recruit yeah. but go on
1: mm-hmm. yeah so and by the end of my freshman year I was really lucky to be surrounded by a lot of talented other players so it made my job easy so I was able to average like around 6 assists a game too we were able to win the the state championship that year and I went to a small uh, private uh, Christian school that we had probably like 250 kids in our school. But that year we were in a division where we were playing against 3,000, 4,000 student high schools like every night. So it's kind of a mismatch, but we were really talented. So we were able to uh, win it all in the end. And I was named the uh, small school player of the year uh, by our Arizona Republic, which is our newspaper here in Phoenix. And so I was one of two players from my high school to ever be named uh, to that award. The other one being Kevin Coble, who actually went to Northwestern and was a really good player there. Um, You know, I'm a
0: cat. I I remember (laughs) Kevin Coble. Go Cats! Have to sneak that in,
1: of course. And so after that year, I had a really good freshman year. So I was able to hear from some coaches, mainly high academic schools. I remember Cornell reached out to me, and then Rice also reached out to me. And so I ended up going to the elite camp of Rice's in the summer and visited their campus. And I, during the time, their head coach was Mike Rhodes, who ended up going to VCU. Now he's at Penn State. Um, but at the time, the assistant coach was Scott Para, And so he was kind of like a person that we were talking to during that year. And after that elite camp, I just kind of stayed in contact with Rice. And I, I love the university. I loved the campus. It was gorgeous, even when I was you know 15 years old. And when my pros went to go to a VCU uh, Scott Perig ended up being uh, promoted to the head coach. So I was like, Oh, I, that's perfect. You know, so I was able to stay in contact with him throughout the years. And I actually had uh, kind of a hurdle, a big hurdle in my recruitment and my junior year actually ended up tearing my ACL in the, in the summer during a, a tournament. So that was, you know, a difficult uh, process for me to deal with, but I was able to stay in contact with rice throughout those whole years. And by the time I was a senior, and they didn't have a scholarship position open which i understood but they mentioned that um they had a preferred walk-on position that they had available on their team and they thought it'd be a really good fit uh culture wise and basketball wise and that they were looking for a point guard to kind of help with their scout team and they just thought it'd be a good fit and i was like you know i love rice it is on, one of the only schools that i visited in high school and so i decided you know that's it has everything that i want it has you know elite academics and division one basketball experience that i've always been working towards um growing up and even though it wasn't uh, a scholarship like i always dreamt of it was still a position that i wanted to be in so with those uh two goals in mind i was able to combine them by going to rice and you know i'm really really glad i did because i loved my experience there
0: yeah that was your freshman mindset was oh Mm -hmm. this is a perfect fit for me it's got what i want flashing Mm -hmm. forward four years you allude to it you're happy of course how did it all mm-hmm. work out being at rice
1: yeah i mean it was good i mean the i mean, a walk-on position is you know as many people maybe aren't familiar with it's still i mean it's on school you're on a scholarship there and you're treated like everyone else is treated like on the team and i think with me I, I really enjoyed my experience at rice especially with basketball we were able to travel to some places around the world that i would have never been able to travel to like my freshman year we went to the my freshman year in college we had a tournament in the bahamas and so that was like one of the most fun times we've, we've had there, being able to play basketball in this, you know, really, really nice resort right on the beach. It was amazing. Um, and then also I was able to really make some great friendships and relationships with my teammates. And so I was lucky to play with some really good players. My freshman year, we had uh, Trey Murphy, who's now on the Pelicans. We would actually room together on the road trips because we, uh, we snored together, <laughs> Um
0: Cause and you then we snore a, together.
1: Yeah, we snore together. So like, our so that's their, a, a thing. A like room. when the coaches are, are making yeah. the room
0: assignments, they're like, "Oh, this dude's a snorer. This dude is too. So let's put them together." <laughs> well, I got
1: to like the midpoint in the season, and I, we were rooming with different people at the time, and our roommates were complaining that we were keeping keeping um keeping them up with our snoring. So then they just paired us together mid season, <laughs> and like honestly, I don't even remember Trey snoring once. Maybe <laughs> I was just like out snoring him, but um. So yeah, that's how it came. That's how it came to be. <laughs>
0: That's actually really smart by the coaches because a team that is sleepy because they're with a snorer and they themselves are not a snorer is going to be a more ineffective team. So good on them. Good on them.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, so, I mean, with those you know relationships and one of my best friends, uh, still to this day, we actually room together uh, my freshman year, as Max Fiedler, who's one of the best passing pigmen in college basketball, and he's going to play a fifth year at Rice. So, I mean, yeah, I can't thank the rights program enough for everything that they've given me because I was honestly like just so happy with being able to be a division one basketball player to have those experiences to be you know just taken to all these places around the world like it was just amazing that you know I can't thank them enough because they gave me so many opportunities so many great experiences and memories that I'm gonna take with me for the rest of my life
0: it's an amazing story Reed and I'm really happy for you it worked out so well Mm -hmm. To go back for a moment to the column, you did write about your career at Rice. You said, during my career at Rice, I remember seeing all the teams we played against, and it became obvious Mm -hmm. I was one of the only players of Asian descent. It's honestly Mm -hmm. a crazy feeling going into opposing arenas for four years and never seeing anyone who looks like you on the court. Mm -hmm. What does that feel like?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, the more you experience it, the more you kind of realize, I guess, because your freshman year, you're kind of naive. You don't really know what to expect. But then after, when I was kind of writing this and I was thinking back to my time um, playing at Rice, I mean, we played, you know, 30-plus games a year. So, I mean, that's – in four years, it's over 120 games. So, thinking back, like, there was only one other, like, Asian player that I remember, and he was on Pepperdine. His name's Jay Yoon. And we actually just, like, talked after the game. I was, like, kind of, like – talking about our experiences and um just saying like i was like yeah i mean like you're like one of the only other people that kind of like look like me you know that we've played against ever and so i was like you know that's incredible man like congrats like this is great that we've been able to get here but what, just, what, what
0: did he say yeah. to that i'm curious what his perspective was
1: yeah i mean he, he agreed he was like you know like there's not many of us out here so like when you when you're able to see someone that kind of looks like you like you feel like the need to kind of reach out and like laugh on to them because it's like Wow! Like I didn't know there was anyone else out there. So right, like it'd be it nice weird to, be to... to
0: not talk to exactly. him about that, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like you feel like you have to talk to him about it. So that was honestly like really cool experience because I, mean, I didn't know about the guy before we played him, but you know after that it was just nice to catch up with him. So but other than that, yeah, like that experience of just not finding anyone else that looks like you—it's just it can be deflating, honestly, because it's like you're the only one out there. Like it feels like. I mean, I wasn't on the court playing myself, but just no one looks like you out there. It's just, it's, defla- it's a deflating feeling because like you're isolated. No one else has done what you're doing, and no one else is doing what you're doing. So it's like it's it's a deflating moment. I would say that's that's the word. Do
0: you think that it's portrayed incorrectly by the media? Because the perspective that I see a lot out there in a mm-hmm. lot of situations where you have someone in. An environment where they are one of the first they're a trailblazer mm-hmm. it's sort of glorified it's like oh wow Reed Myers is the yeah. only Asian American out there like he is the standard bearer he is a trailblazer he is a champion mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't sound like those were the feelings you were having you said it was deflating so what do you think yeah. about how it's portrayed
1: yeah I mean I wouldn't say it was a lot of positive feelings like oh yeah. wow like I'm the first to do this and like no one ever said that to me or anything but i remember kind of like talking with my like my teammates would kind of tell me like you know like you're one of the like some of them would say that i was one of the only like people that was asian that they play basketball with and i was like dude there's like there's no way like i'm sure you play with other people that are asian crap they're like no like you're really like one of the only ones and i was like I, mean, I was like kind of crazy mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean like being a trailblazer i mean it's difficult i mean obviously i wasn't the one on the court playing myself but you know it is a lot of, like, it is difficult because you feel isolated. You know that there's not many other people like you out there. So you also feel like there's an immense amount of pressure because people are looking at you. You're the one that stands out. You're the one that sticks out. And you know it. Like, I know it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was difficult.
0: Did you have moments where you felt like you were, you had too much pressure, let's say, to be a representative?
1: There were times where I thought so because I knew like I, when I was even in practice or we have open practices where fans would come in that you know I kind of stood up for a whole community because I was the only one that was Asian so there were times where I felt like I had to perform well I had to do well both for my sake but also for you know um just Asian basketball players all over because you know I'm one of the only people that represent th- represent them on the court so there was a lot of pressure at times and I would come to my mind from time to time, whether it was in practice or even just, you know, when I was by myself thinking like, you know, I have to do well because I have to, the connotation of Asian basketball players isn't a positive one. You know, it's, I went through it myself of, you know, the negative stereotypes. So trying to prove them wrong for, you know, Asian basketball players can be well little pressure, uh, can be a lot of pressure.
0: That's such a hard thing to do. I mean, it's it's really hard enough to be a student-athlete to balance your academics with your basketball, to go through the grind of D1 hoops. That's really hard. Most people yeah. can do it without needing to be a standard bearer. I mean, what is that? It's, it's sort of unfair, and Mm-mm. it seems like you were able to deal with it, but what were some moments for you that were more difficult?
1: Yeah, I think... I mean, when I was growing up playing basketball, like, I never really thought, like, oh, I'm the only Asian person, you know, playing basketball. Like, there are other people that look like me when I was a really little kid, but uh, even in middle school, I never really thought about it. It wasn't until I got to high school, and I was playing high school games where, you know, opposing student sections were saying some, like, crazy stuff to me, and then I was, like, oh, uh, like, you know, that I, when I started to figure out that, you know, I look different, and people are looking at me differently. And I remember one game, like, Kids were nice. like at student sections were just all on me. They're just like, did you make your shoes before the game? And I was like, bro, like, I'm just trying to hoop. Like, it was like just crazy stuff that they would be saying. Or you know, I'd run to the locker room at halftime, and student sections would be like you know, calling me chink, and I'm like, it was like loud. Like I was able to hear running by them. So I remember one time uh, there was like a school supervisor or uh, someone there, like an attendant, and I went up to them. I was like, like they can't be saying this. Like you got it. Like can you do something about it? And then they end up doing like, just nothing. They're like, just you kind of have to deal with it. And I was like, okay. So then from then on, it was just kind of like, even when I do speak up, like it was pointless. It was meaningless because no one ever does anything. And I feel like that's how a lot of Asian Americans feel like just in their everyday life when there are issues or racism, because we don't really have a like a voice or something that we can look up to who speaks for us, like other communities do. And so in basketball, that's how I kind of felt because when I did speak up or said something that um towards the comments that were said to me like nothing would be done so i ended up just having to learn to take it and just move on with it and you know it was hard because I was you know 15 16 at the time so by the time I got to college it was you know kind of used to it by then which is kind of sad to think about but you know it's just the reality of being an Asian American basketball player you just you don't you look different people are going to treat you differently and you just kind of have to live with it.
0: You just kind of have to live with it. That's the biggest shame of all. It's not the xenophobic students that are yelling obscenities at you. It's the school administrators that are doing nothing about it, and it's the culture that's been created where you're you have to just sort of be like, yeah, all right, I'll deal with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's those moments
0: so. got to be tough, man.
1: hundred oh, percent, and it's just it's just hard because. Even when you speak up, like nothing's done about it, and that's why I wanted to write in the op-ed that I, that's one of the most difficult things. Is that yeah, if you can be if someone reads my story, they're like, "Why don't you just speak up and like it all be over?" But it was like even when I did, like nothing's ever done. So that was one of the big moments, a big, a key point that I wanted to write in my op-ed about.
0: You mentioned to me Jeremy Lin, and mm-hmm. of course he is a generational talent he had right. Sanity. he had the moment yeah. a breakthrough i've also mm-hmm. read some of his work and watched some mm-hmm. of his movies how did that change things for you Lynn Sanity?
1: yeah so i mean at the time i was i think it was like 2012 so i was 12 years old i honestly didn't realize the magnitude <laughs> at the time i was just like i was more like focused on his story it wasn't even like the way he looked it was just like this guy was undrafted, went to Harvard. Literally, like, no one knows about him, so scoring 38 on Kobe, like, at the Garden on ESPN. So it's more of, for me, it was like, it wasn't even that, like, you look like me. It was just like, this guy's just doing incredible basketball achievements that no one's achieved before. um But then as I got older, I was like, wow, he was actually like a crazy trailblazer for our community. I actually had the chance to meet him when I was in high school. um He came, uh, he was on the Hawks, and he played the Suns. I knew someone. Kevin Cole was actually working with the Hawks and so he was able to allow me to meet Jeremy Lin after the game so I was able to speak with him I was able to thank him for everything that he's done but yeah I mean look like as I got older I was like Lin Sanity was a crazy crazy time because no one's done what he's done and still to this day no one's done what he's done and he was able to provide a sense of hope um, with his career and his achievements that's like unparalleled but even then, like I guess it's over a decade since insanity and we're still kind of looking for that next Asian American Hooper, which is, you know, crazy to make it to the NBA. So yeah, I mean, hopefully his case just won't be know a slight hiccup. It'll be a lot more common where Asian American basketball players are regularly in the NBA. So but yeah, I mean, it was a crazy time that looking back, I it was amazing to watch.
0: What did he say to you when you thanked him?
1: He was just like uh, like he was so humble um i think that's everyone always mentioned how humble he is he was like you know like it was like no uh no big deal like he was just like of <laughs> course like he was really really polite really really caring and i told him you know about my current i was committed to rice at that point so i told him like i was going down to houston and he just told me you know like even though it's not a scholarship like just do everything you can to keep working hard and you know everything like things will kind of fall in your favor with the work that you put in <laughs>
0: It's sort of funny to think of him being like, nah, yeah, no biggie. You know, you're like, hey, <laughs> thank you for being a generational yeah. talent and sparking this movement and being, mm-hmm. you know, the voice of our generation of Asian American Hoopers. And he's like, yeah, okay, no biggie.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's no, he was a super, super nice guy. So, yeah, I can't think of anyone honestly better to represent our community than him through basketball.
0: But now it's time to turn the page, right, to the next generation. Mm-hmm. You know, that insanity, I cannot believe that was 2012. That's 11 years ago. So we turn towards the next generation. You wrote in the final paragraph of your column, you said, I hope Mm -hmm. by being on rice, I, a six foot half white, half Japanese Asian American can provide hope Mm -hmm. to the next generation of Asian American hoopers. How do you accomplish that? Yeah,
1: I think with me, something that kind of like stuck out to me is I would work sometimes at summer camps that we had at Rice with uh, the little kids that would come in from the Houston community. And some of those kids happen to be of Asian descent. And so it was kind of a crazy moment. So there'd be times in the season after games where these kids and these families would come up to me after the game and like their parents would tell me they're like, you know, like, you're my kid's favorite player. And I was like, I didn't even play today. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I'm your favorite? Like, I'm his favorite player. And so I guess that kind of like stuck out to me. Cause I was like, if I'm able to kind of do that without actually like like physically touching the court, like me just being at the division I level can be enough to spark like these kids' hopes, dreams, because there is someone at least that looks like them at, you know, a division I level, like where they're from. And so I never really had that growing up and you know, in Phoenix at ASU, U of A, like obviously no one looked like me. So, you know, like you just can't really look up like, you have to look up to other people who don't look like you, which, you know, is perfectly fine. But sometimes it's just helpful to have someone that looks like you because then, you know, like people can do it. You can do it. It's feasible. And when you just don't have anyone, it's like if no one else has been able to do it. Like, how am I supposed to be the one? Like that's a, a crazy feeling and a crazy amount of pressure because like you're, it's, it's almost like it's you against the world because there's no one else out there that's doing what you're trying to do.
0: It's amazing to think about little kids being like, hey, you're my favorite player because of who you are, but that's a lot of pressure for (laughs) a college kid. So kudos Mm -hmm. to you for dealing with that pressure. Of course, a moment of reflection for you as you graduate, finish up basketball. You literally set sail on London soon, but tell us what's next for you in the Reed Myers story.
1: Yeah, definitely. So right now I'm looking to kind of embark on starting my career post-basketball. And then on the side, I've been kind of running this t-shirt business called Outside the Bubble or OTB, uh, where I kind of make creative designs for college athletes using uh, NIL but with the recent changes that the NCAA implemented. So to kind of make creative designs, I've just been working with some of my teammates at the moment on getting these shirts done. And we just, you know, sell them to whoever is interested in buying them. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: And fans of the podcast, I've got the link in the description. So if you want to support Reed's business, snag a shirt. What do they look like? Give us a little, uh, a little audio description. What's your style? Yeah, definitely.
1: So I'm really into like the old school vintage wrap tees. So those are kind of styles I kind of go for a little bit. I mean, obviously I have to use, you know, pictures of the athletes. So I like to use, um, you know, game photos as well as I kind of like, so like action shots, but also like uh, non-action shots where they're, it they're maybe it's like they're posing or uh, like they're reacting to an emotional play. So with those designs, I kind of have a background and then a format of the photos and then kind of throw in a little edit to kind of make it a little bit look, uh, give it a little bit of a vintage look.
0: Sounds sweet. Sounds sweet. I'm going to be a customer. So awesome. we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep spreading the word for you, Reed. Last one yeah, for you. I'm you. a travel nut. You're going to London later this week. Are you a Ted Lasso fan?
1: Oh, yeah. I've been keeping up with this series, so I, I love that show. It's, it's one of my favorites. Gotta watch it every Wednesday.
0: All right. Who's going to win the Premier League this year in Ted Lasso? Will it be Richmond, West Ham, or The Field?
1: It's got to be either Richmond or West Ham, but gotta go with Ted on this one. So i say Rich- Richmond.
0: <laughs> there we go. I'm, you know, I, I'm going to go a little funkier. I'm going to say West Ham wins it. But then it gets like vacated on a technicality and Richmond slides in. Ooh, I think I'll it'll get a one. little funky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, Reed, it's been awesome to have you on the pod. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for, for attacking it with, with energy right, and opening up because I know that's not easy to do for a lot of people. So I appreciate it, Reed.
1: Oh, of course. yeah. Thank you so much for giving me this platform and opportunity to speak on it. I really appreciate that. So thank you.
0: Of course, wishing you all the best, Reed. That's been Reed Myers on The Mental Game. Reed, bon voyage.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Really appreciate Reed's time and his honesty here on The Mental Game podcast. I think it's interesting to juxtapose what we see in the media, which is so often this guy's a shining star, the voice of his generation, and Representing all Asian Americans and making it sound so glorious with the reality, which is what Reed told us, which is, God, that felt deflating to be the only one. God, it was frustrating to have all these people yell obscenities at me and nothing get done about it. Coaches not call me back. Scouts write bad reports on me just because of how I look, not how I play. It's really frustrating, and I think it's important to tell these stories. Really, really appreciate Reed and hope you enjoyed Reed's appearance on The Mental Game. As always, I appreciate your support. Make sure you like, rate, subscribe to the pod, and help me spread the good word. All right, as always, I'm Sam Brief, bidding you adieu from the home studio in Chicago. This has been The Mental Game Podcast. Make sure you take care of yourself and others, and I will speak with you next time.